Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, November 20th. If you're an Alberta farmer, you're probably hoping for some snow after our dry summer. Canada's so-called agricultural breadbasket area is getting hotter and drier, according to a study co-authored by experts from the University of Alberta. We broke down the information with Dr. Emmanuel Mapfumo, Associate Professor of Environmental Services at Concordia University. Feeling lonely is awful, but is it bad for our health? To get the answer, we made an appointment with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Dr. J began the conversation explaining about how being lonely can actually impact our health and wellness. And on this Motivational Monday, we talked to the author of a new book called Resilience. Owner of one-on-one personal fitness, Sandra Buchert-Davison, explains why she says we are not what has happened to us. The weather was fantastic this weekend for late November, but if you're a farmer, you're probably hoping for some snow after our very dry summer. Canada's agricultural so-called breadbasket area is getting hotter and drier, according to a study from Concordia University and the University of Alberta. Joining us to talk about it and the impact is Dr. Emmanuel Mapfumo, Associate Professor of Environmental Services at Concordia University. Good morning to you, doctor. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, and thank you for having me on your show. Thanks. Uh, to begin, could you please define Canada's breadbasket? How, how do you define that in that area particularly? Well, I think uh, when we say Canada's breadbasket, what we are talking about is uh, if you look at the uh, the uh, amount of agriculture that's actually conducted in the prairie provinces, um, especially wheat production and barley and oats, um, it constitutes more than 60%. And so that's what we are talking about. We are saying Canada's bread basket because the prairie provinces actually contribute to a large proportion of the uh, grain production across Canada. Yeah, 60%, as you say, that's huge. So uh, tell us a little bit about in terms of the findings now on climate change and the impact on crop production for us here in the prairies then. Well, I think the uh, the impact of the findings, what we did was to uh, review the state of knowledge uh, in terms of what has been done, especially in the prairie provinces. And what was striking was that um, the uh, winters are getting less cold. And so what that means is that we start to have more and more mid-season snow melts uh, and that actually affects the amount of snow that is uh, on the ground in early spring, and which means the amount of soil moisture uh, during the early season of plant growth is low. And so that can have an effect on the, on the overall plant growth and also the health of the plant as the season goes. So that, that is what was striking from the review. You know, and I think that's one of those things that we think about rain during the summer months, how important that is, but, and it is, but the, the, the runoff or, or the moisture from the winter snowpack is, is just or almost as key, isn't it? So, I mean, how do the, the rising temperatures, how does that affect what we're going to be able to grow in the future? Well, I, I think what happens is that uh, we still can grow some of the plants that we normally grow. But the challenge is that if you have the moisture levels are low in spring, then there's a good chance that the plants will be under stress early. Or you may have issues where the germination is not as good as it has been in the past. 
Now, there are also uh, potential opportunities of looking into other um, varieties that actually may do better under the conditions or potentially looking at uh, if the moisture situation is still continues to be a, pro- to be a problem, then maybe look into uh, potential irrigation as one of the solutions. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked, I remember in the summer, we talked to a farmer who used the dry farming technique or methods. So maybe is that something then that may just not be possible in the future, that they will have to look at some sort of irrigation for any and every farm? Well, I think it also depends on the amount of moisture requirements for the crops. Um, and also, it, it, if it happens that uh, there's enough rain during summer, there may not be a need for irrigation. But uh, one of the challenges that is happening is that we have the weather, uh, extreme weather events have been more frequent. And and where sometimes even when the precipitation during critical times of the year, when the plant actually needs it, uh, it doesn't rain. And so that has been the challenge. This, is, this isn't new information, though, is it? I mean, in terms of knowing from previous studies that things are getting hotter, things are getting drier, I mean, is this, do farmers, have they already started trying to work towards how to overcome these problems? Yeah, that's right. The farmers have been already uh, working on that uh, in terms of um, trying to overcome the problem, and, and that has been in part due to adoption of the new cultivars as well uh, that are a bit more adaptable to the conditions. So the farmers have been working towards that. Uh, Does the the report talk about or offer any help to farmers then for strategies to adapt to the climate change, to adapt to the increased risk of disease and pests perhaps that might come with drier conditions? Well, the report does not necessarily talk about specific adaptation strategies. But what it does highlight is that uh, with the increase in, in, in temperature, especially minimum temperature and low moisture in spring, uh, and as well as the, um, the heat accumulation being a little bit higher as a result of that increase in temperature, what has happened is that the farmers may have to scout earlier for some of the diseases. Uh, so that they actually have to, they have a longer period of time of dealing with some of the diseases and pests than in the past. So that's one of the challenges that the farmers have had to uh, to face. Ongoing discussion certainly isn't going to change next year or the year after that. Thank you so much for your input. Thanks for sharing the study with us. Appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks, Dr. Emmanuel Mapfumo, Associate Professor of Environmental Services at Concordia University. Loneliness can certainly be uncomfortable, unhappy to be, but can loneliness actually be bad for our health? To get the answer, we've got an appointment with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. No one likes to be lonely, obviously. It's not something that you would choose, but aside from being uncomfortable, can it negatively impact our health to be lonely? Yes, apparently so. So... When I was asked to, that we'd be talking about this on Monday, I started doing my own research, and it, it's absolutely fascinating to read more uh, current research on this. 
And uh, the one quote that I saw that I thought was really quite an aha thing is that uh, suffering from significant loneliness is the equivalent from a health risk of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So three quarters of a pack of smokes a day is like being low. That's a crazy stat, but that actually is very, very interesting. They can have a direct impact on on morbidity and mortality, how we live and, and, and if we die early. And how so, Dr. J? What is it doing to our bodies? Is it more, you know, what's doing to our psyche and then affects the body? How does that work? Yeah, I think it's in that kind of world. Um, Now, let's be clear. So loneliness is not depression, but some of the features that it would um, bring out physically would be the same as depression. So it has impact on immune system. It has an impact on our cognition. Um, It has impact on cardiovascular systems, (laughs) like metabolic, like diabetes, blood pressure all these things that and that's very similar to uh, struggling with a true depression struggling with anxiety disorders they have huge impact on their, our physicality and that huge impact on our physicality really affects our uh, like we might get cancer we may get diabetes or hypertension when uh, if we didn't have those we wouldn't so it, it really impacts on our, our ability to be physically healthy do you think it would impact men and women the same so it, probably not, but I guess everything I'm reading, and it's funny that it's uh, we're talking without Andy uh, in the room today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's uh, men are way more affected by loneliness than women because uh, they're more apt to be lonely. They're more apt to say, "I'm not lonely. I'm okay. I'm stoic. I can live through this." Um, but guys generally are, are hammered by this a lot worse, and may sometimes. Um, Actually, it'll come out as a potential suicide, and suicide risk is three to one men to women. So men seemingly are very disproportionate when we talk about the, the getting lonely, the impact of loneliness, and the outcome of loneliness is, is very much a male-dominated field. I think, you know, Andy would say this. He, we've talked about this a lot, that, you know, guys just aren't as willing or able to step up and say, I need help, to go to the doctor, to, you know, perhaps go to a psychologist or, or what, just to even talk to a, a friend or, you know, a family member because they don't want to appear weak. Uh, do you think we're, are, are we ever going to get past that? Are we doing better with our young boys and growing them to realize yeah. that it's okay? Yeah, I think we are doing a little better across the board in regards to just talking about mental health. I, you know, when I'm talking to younger people, definitely they're much more open and they're they're willing to, to sort of reveal things or be a bit more vulnerable than uh, previous uh, generations, but we sure don't have it right yet. And I think men, again, particularly are bad at... Um, you know, at work, you know, we can chit-chat, we can talk sports, we can do this, but really there's, uh, where women have it, or the more female side of things is that ability to bond one-on-one, to talk about things that are a little more serious, mm-hmm. and to uh, sort of bond and forge those, those relationships that you truly could r- rely on, whereas guys have all the relationships at work and the busyness, but nobody they really could unload on, you know, really speak to things that are meaningful. There's just nobody there because they've never had that conversation. Can I can't chat with anybody about any topic that's at a superficial level, but that doesn't help you when you're lonely or mm-hmm. when you're getting depressed. Is, is physical touch a part of that as well? I, I know I've seen and read things that, you know, when you don't have physical touch, it actually is detrimental to your health as well. Well, and that's fascinating. So we're talking uh, where women are much more likely to be uh, close physically 
and that's not viewed in a negative fashion, I think guys are still struggling with that horribly. <laughs> You're not going to see two guys, you know. I'm a hugger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting at a bar hugging each other. Uh, well, although it depends on what kind of bar you're in, for yeah, sure. But um, but to not make light of it, yes, physical touch is very much less likely because there might be implication. Uh, and if a guy doesn't want that implication, he would struggle horribly with that. Now, we're coming through that even a little bit, I think, now in our younger uh, generations, although social media is killing that, right? So all friendships are not in person anymore. So there is no physical touch because all my friends are on social yeah. media. My entire social network, I, I don't even know what these people look, look like. like. I've never yeah. met them in person, right? But yet I'm connected to them in some way. Can our family physician, can a Dr. J or, you know, whoever your doctor is, can you, can you guys offer up assistance when it comes to loneliness? What, what can we do to help or, or get help? Well, we are sometimes first line. Um, that patients will unload on us, and and that's actually a huge first step. And by seeing what are the issues, yeah, sometimes we're able to connect to um, whether this be a professional uh, mental health person, and sometimes counselors are incredibly good at working through this, or I know of this group, or I know of something that's that's happening, and why don't you tap into that? Or, you know, uh, and I think that's the key, you know, for male loneliness is to be part of now social groups, mm -hmm. meeting in person, doing something of, of substance, whether you're part of a group or you're mentoring somebody else or just, but some contact with people that has a purpose that you will talk and that you're not, yeah, it's not just work and it's not just, you know, I don't know, taking out the garbage and saying hello to somebody. That's not good enough anymore. Exactly. You need to get deeper. You need to have somebody you can share with. So Dr. Frontline, I'm also going to let people know distresscenter.com. If you need help, they've got text support. You can just get on your phone. Don't even need to talk to someone. You can text 266-4357. That's the same number to actually call. You can do a live chat as well. So there are lots of different options, especially if you feel like you, maybe you can't go to your family doctor or maybe you don't don't have one because a lot of people don't right right correct so anything that works for you but it is a matter of uh especially if somebody is more in that uh, realm of suicidality yeah to, to reach out and to talk about it to unload um and there are a huge amount of resources and then people do it can get better will do better if they reach out thank you so much dr j always a pleasure okay you betcha thanks dr ted jablonski is our on-call family physician this book is dedicated to my seven-year-old self and to every little boy and girl on earth who had had to make themselves small to survive. Just because we made ourselves small does not make us small people. The best revenge is living well. That is an excerpt from the new book, Resilience, written by the owner of Calgary's one-on-one -on -one personal fitness. Sandra Buker davison joins us this morning for Motivational Monday. Good morning to you, Sandra. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Sue. Going to get into the book, but I want to give people an idea of who you are because we can have people from across the globe finding success stories from all corners of the world, authors, motivational speakers, athletes. But to get somebody local, I, I think it's important to mm -hmm. give you a background because you've been doing this thing for, for more than a couple of years when it comes to fitness. So tell us where people might have seen your name or, uh, you know, been past your business. Well, July was 34 years since I've started personal training in the city of Calgary. And when I first started personal training... Personal training in the 80s was something for the rich and uh, the affluent. And I thought, what if one-on-one -on -one I taught people how to get more when they were in the gym? Mm -hmm. Just to work with them one-on-one -on -one to show them nutrition and fitness-wise how they could achieve better results. 
Now, Andy and I have both trained with you, so I know the answer to this question, <laughs> but I want you to answer it anyway. What was the reaction that you got from people, even, you know, your loved ones, your family members, when you told them, I'm going to start this business? They thought I was crazy. Mm. <laughs> In fact, my mother said, no one's going to pay you to work out with them. And the funny thing was, when I was in the gym, people kept coming up to me all the time. Sandra, can you show me how you make your arm look like that? <laughs> Sandra, how do you get your abs to look like that? They kept asking me for tips. And little by little, I thought, you know, maybe there's something here that I could turn into an actual business. And? your story to turn it into an actual book. I, I want to bring it to the book in the sense that, you know, you, you, you hear your voice on the radio. Uh, we, we see you around town. We know about the results you get for your clients. We see the success story. We see that end piece. But to get there and to write about it, was it always peaches and cream, Sandra? <laughs> what was the motivation to write a book called Ooh, Resilience? I, you know, fantastic question. So I was the kid who was bullied in high school. And to be brief, the high school bully stepped into my classroom one day, pinned my arm behind my back, and it was one of those moments where I had a decision to make. And that decision was I could um, <clears throat> be repressed and never ever stand up for myself or strike back. Now, by no means do I advocate for violence but I clocked her, you guys. <laughs> I clocked her and she never touched me again. And after that, I found myself downstairs in our high school gym where the jocks were working out. And I would watch what they would do. And then I would sneak in and I would mimic it. And that was the beginning of my introduction to weight training and uh, putting me on the path to signing up at an all-male gym and training and getting into bodybuilding and competing and the path was laid. And all that has followed because it's not just resilience as the title, right? It's the rest of it is you are not what has happened to you. Yes. So you are not that kid that was bullied. You are not that kid that nobody believed in you. In fact, you're far stronger and better because of that, right? Yes. And that's the message that I wanted to get through. You know, everyone has a story. That's what I'm finding out as a result of writing the book. People come up and start telling me about what happened to them as kids, what happened to them in their families. We all have a story. And people come up to me at this point in my career and they think I am who I am based on where I am now. They don't know the backstory and the struggles and the obstacles and wanting to give up. They don't know how I got here. And that's why, where I wanted to write the book. You decide to write this book, and of course, your path is different than anybody's, different than mine, different than Sue's, anybody listening. But is this a case that you, you look at those lessons you've learned and help to make them, uh, through the book Resilience, uh, applicable to somebody who might be having, I don't know, uh, money issues, uh, you know, relationship issues, uh, you know, job issues? Absolutely. So I was the underdog. Hmm. No one ever expected me to succeed. And that's where the people who are overcoming obstacles, challenges, a difficult life, sometimes you can feel like you're the only person going through that mucky pile at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I want them to go, holy, she went through that? Hmm, maybe I've got what it takes to still keep going. I want to give hope and inspiration to people. 
I love it because, you know, part of your story as well, and you, know, you talk about it in the book, you were married, you were divorced, you have kids, you found love again for the second time. You really have to just, you know, you have to dig in and, and, and push forward. And, and we all have a similar story, as Andy said. So is that sort of just one of the themes is, is you know, being your own advocate and just making sure that you, you continue to push no matter what comes at you? Being your own advocate, but also realizing you're going to get knocked down at some point in life. It's not just you. You're going to get knocked down in life. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to lay there or are you going to get up? And that's where I want people to realize you can get up, you can keep going, and you can have one hell of a life if you just put one foot in front of the other. And I like the, the, the not defining yourself as what happened to you portion of, of resilience in the sense that, uh, and, I, and I think this happens to all of us. Somebody says something like a sticks and stones type thing. It gets in your head. Yes. And to some extent, it's not about that person, you know, holding you back. It's you letting those thoughts live in your head. Is, is that something that has been a challenge for you? That is so true. And even in the studio, we find the biggest obstacle we have with people is themselves. They are their own saboteur. People don't believe that they are worth uh, what they're going for. Um, they struggle with believing in themselves. And so if you, if you doubt yourself from that get-go and you keep doubting yourself, you do things to fulfill that prophecy. And so, yes, we can be our own saboteurs. Onwards is sort of the, the title of one of the, the final parts of your book. So is that, is that the end of Sandra Bucher-Davison's story then? Is this, this book right here? We're all done? What's happening? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. There will be more coming for sure. You know, there will be more stories. I'm working on a bit of a podcast as well as a result of the book. So it's getting out there and sharing my story and my journey and giving back even to some of the nonprofits in town. I'm hoping to get involved with um, causes for uh, children, etc. Mm-hmm. So there's more to come. We love the positivity. We love the inspiration. And uh, we love to support local. So where can people get their hands on a copy of this? Um, there is a uh, website uh, for the book, uh, resilience.ca. Uh, if they come to even one-on-onefitness.ca, there is a link to the book. And hard copies are coming soon because we've discovered people want to hold a book. Yeah. And they've asked me to read s- a book. Yeah. And they want me to sign it. So yes. it's digital right now. Yes. But a hard copy is coming. And I mean, you know, as a trainer, like I said earlier, Andy and I have both been in the gym and... That, I think that's why you've managed to survive so long. It's not just going to a gym. It's more. It's about, you know, mind, body, spirit, really, when, when you go to Sandra Buchert, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. It's that personal piece in the one-on-one where we get to know our customers. I joke that I'm a glorified bartender. <laughs> Wait a minute, I didn't get drinks when I was there. I was always asking. People tell us lots of things, and I think that's because they trust us, yeah. and they're comfortable with us. And so I'm, I'm lucky to do what I do. Excellent. Good stuff. And uh, again, the perfect message mm-hmm. for a Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time, Sandra. Really appreciate it. Thank you both for having me. And the book is called Resilience. You are not what has happened to you. More details, of course, as Sandra said, about what she does in the city here as well. One-on-one-fitness.ca slash resilience. Sandra Buchert-Davidson, thanks for joining us. Thank you.